Our sermon text comes from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, good morning, everybody. Uh, let me turn my mic on. Can you hear me? Yeah. It's okay? All right. Awesome. Um, Kara, can you turn it down just a little bit? Just a touch. Thanks. Kara's a one-man show in the back. Uh, so we continue our sermon series um, this morning, going through our core values, and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, relationships. Um, I preached a, f- a sermon a few months ago um, in the book of Acts, and we were, I was talking about the gospel community, and so today I'm going to talk a little bit about the gospel community, um, and more specifically about our gospel relationships. And honestly, I don't think that we can uh, emphasize enough how important our relationships, our relationships are with each other. You know, first of all, we can't escape our relationships, right? We can try to minimize our interactions, but unless you're living um, as a hermit in a cave, we're all very much immersed in this heavily populated San Francisco Bay Area, home to seven and a half million people in a very condensed and focused area. And so everywhere you go in the Bay Area, there's traffic, there's people. If you leave the house, you're bound to interact with somebody. Second, we know how important relationships are, right? We're social creatures. Naturally, we're drawn to one another. We're drawn to each other to build community, whether it's the family unit, whether um, it's a good circle of friends. We seek happiness and laughter and shared experiences with one another. And so we learn to lean in. And so even for those of us that are more introverted, for some of us that have been hurt and burned by others, we know that we still need people. We still need each other. We still need community. Third, we know how hard relationships are. We're all messy people. There's so much brokenness in our relationships, right? Others hurt us. We hurt others. And the more we lean into our relationships, yes, there's going to be a lot of love and joy and belonging that's built. But along the way, there's going to be strife and hardship and heartache. All our relationships are messy, because we all want things our own way. And when our, when our ideas clash, right, unity begins to crack. Disunity, discord, disharmony begins to seep in. There's resentment, there's bitterness. And unfortunately, this is the core of our human experience on this side of earth. In our sermon passage today, we're going to talk a little bit more, not just about relationships in general, but more specifically about our relationships in the church community, and what does this unity look like? Uh, When we think about our own experience, our own church experience, whether you grew up in the church, whether you're new to church, it's likely that many of us have uh, been hurt before. It's likely that many of us still feel lonely in this community, whether it's here or another church. You know, a lot of times we feel uncertain about church and this so-called unified gospel community. We're not sure that it's any different than the rest of the world. And this disunity happens because we're all different people, 
right? We bring our different cultures, our different upbringings, our different baggage, we bring our different sins. We are a group of sinners not sure if people are out to use us or if they're actually out to love us and care for us and support us. And so a lot of times we're hesitant to lean in. Maybe we once saw this biblical, biblical church as um, an, an ideal, accepting community full of peace and harmony and grace and forgiveness with very little drama, with very little brokenness. Maybe once we naively strive to try to achieve this type of community, but then we realize that it's so hard to attain. We've been hurt by others, and then we've become jaded. And so now we go from church to church, feeling others out, looking to, for that one church to, that we can connect to that's good enough. And so the search continues on and on and on. And so you guys, community and relationships are tough. Church is tough. But I pray that as we learn from Ephesians, these six verses in Ephesians this morning, that we will be challenged and encouraged to keep fighting, to keep leaning in to the church community, not because it's up to us to fix ourselves, it's but because we have Jesus that brings us together. He calls to us and he unifies us. So I have three points for us this morning. United by calling, united by conduct, and united by confession. Our first point is united by calling. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul, he goes through great detail of what God has done for his people through Jesus Christ, right? We've been called by God. We've been redeemed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We've been justified in our standing before God. We are given a new life. We are given a new task, and we are a new people in Jesus Christ. We're brought near to God. We've been adopted into the family of God. And all of this is done not because we are amazing people, but simply because God is a loving and gracious God that pursues us and it's out of his goodness that he does this. Even while we're still sinners, Christ was sent to die for our sins. All of this has already been done. And so we are a people that have a common experience. We have a shared experience of God's grace. This is what uni- unites us. And then the next three chapters in Ephesians, Paul, he shifts into how we are called to live according to who we are as new people in Jesus Christ. Everything we are called to do as a people of God is not to gain our identity, but it's to live out our identity. And so the easiest example I can think of is uh, my role as a husband to Lauren. And I do husbandly things not to gain husband status. I'm already a husband and I'm learning to grow in my role as a husband. I'm learning to care for Lauren, to love her, to respect her, to serve her, to love her well, to lead her well. And so it is with us as God's people. This is who we are in Jesus Christ. This is how we are to grow, grow in our roles in Jesus Christ. This is how we grow in our identity as Christians. As we look at verse 1, uh, Paul, he starts by addressing his situation. He says that he is a prisoner for the Lord. Not only is he saying that he is in a Roman prison because being persecuted for his faith, and allegiance to Jesus, but he's also saying that he is spiritually bound to Jesus in his love and loyalty to him. And so Paul here, he's leading the way as an example for others and showing his own personal commitment to his calling, to his calling as a follower of Jesus. 
But then he shows us that we're called not just to be united to God. It's not just us and God, but we are called to each other as well. Ephesians 2, 19 says this, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, just as a biological family is united together, they're bound together through their blood, we are bound and united together as a family, members of the household of God through the blood of Jesus. And so let's say that a biological family is torn apart. Mom and dad, they divorce. The kids, they hate each other. And everyone splits up and they move far away from each other. It doesn't make them not a family. Maybe they're a broken family, but they are still a family bound together by blood. And so my point is that this gospel calling, it is what binds us and unites us together, whether we like it or not. Christianity is not only about us and God, but it's also about us and each other. As we think about a healthy community, maintaining flourishing relationships with one another, we first need to understand this truth that we are united as one people together through Jesus Christ. And this is the basis and the foundation for our calling to love and support and care for one another. Uh, Let me try to give you another example. So Lauren and I, we've been married together uh, for 12 years now. Our personalities are very opposite. And like all marriages and serious relationships, we've gone through some uh, pretty rough seasons in our marriage. You know, I've I've come to points where I storm my hands up and I just thought that we weren't compatible to be together. Uh, But what has held us together is our vows that we made on our wedding day. And this isn't a credit to us, but it is acknowledging that there is something beyond us, something greater than us that holds us together, something that binds us and keeps us together, something greater than our feelings of discontent. You know, our feelings and circumstances, they come and they go, but the object of reality is that we've made vows together. We promised to each other. We made commitments to each other. And this has been a great comfort to us because in times when things go sideways, man, we just look at the times we're good, the things we did together, and we said, this is it. We're with each other till death do us apart. And so this makes our relationships safe to be in. This is because we know that we're going to start fighting for each other when we are bound together. And in our intro to Risen class, you know, we were um, talking about what it looks like to be a part of a church, what it looks like to be a member of a church. Somebody asked, I think, Um, Is membership like a marriage? And I would say no in the sense that it doesn't hold us into one church forever. You know, if we move away, we feel called to another church, that's totally okay. But yes, in the sense that objectively, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, we are already united together. We are already bound to each other. And we are called to love each other and be united to one another. And the local church is one way for us to display this, right? This is love made manifest through the local church. And so I hope you guys don't mistake what I'm saying as a tricky message to uh, guilt you to stay at our church. This isn't a trap. You know, of course, you know, if you guys come and you're a part of our family, man, we would love to have you. We're going to love you as best as we can. But if you're just passing by, if you're a visitor, if you're still new and trying to figure things out, that's totally okay too. Richard and I, we want our community, our church community, to be a safe place where you can figure stuff out, where you can talk about faith, you can ask questions, and you can see 
what it feels like to be near to God and near his people. And so what I'm saying is that if you are part of this larger family of God, whether you're here at Risen, whether you're here at another church across town, across the country, across the world, you are already called. You have a duty to others, and others have a duty to you. That's a biblical fact. This might scare you because I know many of us are afraid to commit to things we're uncertain of, you know, myself included. Maybe you've been burned by a church in the past, and man, that sucks. It really sucks. I really feel for those that have been hurt by the church. But let me gently encourage all of us here by saying that being united in our calling together in this way, the way that the Apostle Paul lays out for us, it should be of a great comfort to us when we understand the implications and the benefits of this union with Jesus and with each other, it should be of a great comfort. This brings us to our second point. United in conduct. In verse 1, Paul, he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. You know, if you've ever been asked to be a best man or a best woman, made of... (laughs) Made of honor. <laughs> made of honor. Matron of honor. Um, it's a high calling. You know that it's a privilege to stand next to your best friend on their, their most special wedding day, right? And then, so you're going to prepare yourself. You're going to make sure you have your tux and your suit or your dress ready before, well before the, uh, the wedding comes. Um, on the wedding day, you're going to make sure you get a good night's sleep. You're going to wake up on time. You're going to shower, you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to shave your mustache. If you're a guy or a girl, you're going to shave your legs. It's okay if you don't, you know, it's no, no judging there. Um, you're just going to get ready. You're going to get, um, put on your makeup, you're going to make sure you put on deodorant, and you're going to make sure that you're, the bride or the groom is taken care of, that they don't have to worry about anything on that day. You know, you know that this is an important day and you have an important task. And so you'll be extra alert. You're going to be extra mindful of what's going on because this is such a huge calling. So you want to do your best. And Paul here, he's reminding us of our calling. He's saying this is a very important call. We need to be alert and mindful of our lives and our actions. And he talks about the conduct of what this looks like. In verse 2, he lists some qualities that we must strive for, right? He says, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. <clears throat> These verses, they assume and understands that relationships and community is difficult. Paul knows that we are sinful people, all of us, in need of constant grace and forgiveness to each other because we so easily stray, we so easily want our own way. And so we need constant reminders of who we are and how, are we are to, and how we are to take care of each other. We also see that it's clear that our calling, again, is not just a private relationship between ourselves and God. We don't just live solo and we don't, like, we don't need others in the church community, but it's very much a calling into a community with each other. And these are the characters, characteristics that are going to help us grow together. When it comes to humility and gentleness, The ancient world despised humility. It saw humility as a huge sign of weakness. The word humility in the Greek was, in the Greek world, it was never used in the context as something to be admired or something to be attained. 
It wasn't even a quality worthy of a simple approval. But instead, it was associated with humiliation and shame. But then Jesus, he comes, right? He breaks into the world, turns everything upside down. He runs counter to the culture, sharing and showing that humility and gentleness is a true way up. Jesus says in Matthew 18, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 11, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Isaiah 2, it says, The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Isaiah 66, But this is the one whom I, the Lord, will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Proverbs 11, 2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And lastly, 1 Peter 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, humble, humility, and gentleness, it goes hand in hand. This is our calling. Gentleness isn't a sign of weakness, as many might see, but it is a display of self-control. It's displaying the right blend of force and reserve. It's neither extreme force nor extreme reservation. It's not being too angry nor neither being, never being angry at all. You know, we've all been um, in public places, in restaurants, or, you know, where kids are. And um, sometimes we see some extreme cases of parenting. Um, and this happens to the, uh, the best of us. But um, sometimes, you know, strong personalities um, will flare up. And uh, sometimes parents will lash out at their kids. You know, they're going to exert their will. And they're going to be domineering and forceful towards their kids. Because, man, kids sometimes are just disobedient and out of control. <laughs> And it's hard, right? It's very hard. That's not gentleness. And then on the other side, we have uh, um, parents that are more reserved and their kids are running wild and they're not doing anything. That's not gentleness either. And to be honest, I've been on both sides of these things, right? Sometimes not in public, sometimes at home. I remember one time I've not very gently held one of the kids and not very gently put them in the room and, and then not very gently closed the door and not very gently said some things. And this happens, and it's unfortunate. That is not gentleness. It's not easy. Biblical gentleness upholds strength. It upholds firm standing, but it is tempered, and it is controlled. It does not impose and exert the self on to others, but it uses its strength, its power, its authority to guide and serve others in a spirit of gentleness. And so Paul, he tells us that humility and gentleness is essential. It's important. It's the key. It's the secret to unity. So I don't want you guys to overlook this point. The next two qualities in verse 2 are patience and bearing with one another in love. Um, there is a movie that just came out um, on Netflix called The Marriage Story. Maybe some of you saw it. It's with Adam uh, Driver, uh, Kylo Ren, and Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> Black Widow. And the storyline, it's very simple. <laughs> the storyline is very simple. 
But what the movie does very well is that it shows um, the deep feelings that people have with each other. It shows the intricacies and the nuances of a relationship that is fragile. It begins good, and then gradually it goes to the fire. Adam Driver, he's this successful um, theater director. His name is Charlie. Uh, he lives in New York. And then Scarlett Johansson, she plays his, um, his wife. Uh, her name is Nicole, and she stars in his theater plays. And so they're married. They have a son, Henry. And the story starts off with a happy marriage, a lot of laughter and drinking and hugging. But soon, they grow distant. And it's because they have different ideas for what they want in their own personal lives. Their personalities begin to come out, begins to clash. But they're still good friends. They want to remain good friends, even as they decide to separate. They're very respectful of each other at first. They're very gentle. Uh, They communicate as best as they can with one another. And without ruining this whole movie for you, the smallest things begin to grow and fester and snowball. They're patient with one another at first, but as time goes on, they begin to lose their patience with each other and they get more and more and more defensive. You see, it seemed like this couple had the qualities of humility and gentleness in the beginning, but they began to struggle with patience and lovingly bearing each other's garbage as the days and the weeks and the months and the years went on. And so for us, we're not in a marriage, but we can relate to the messiness of our relationships here as the weeks, as the months, as the years go on. And so I want us to be careful that we aren't just a humble and gentle people that keep to ourselves, but as we learn to lean into this community and into the lives of each other, We need to come in with the mindset of learning to have so much patience, so much grace, so much love and forgiveness towards each other as we bear each other's flaws and brokenness and burdens and baggage. In his letter to Colossian Church, Paul writes this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You know, while we hope for good relationships here, we also need to soberly expect and anticipate that some of our relationships are just going to be tougher and messier. There's no need to pretend that our relationships are all rainbows and butterflies. Loving this community is going to take a lot of work. And yes, as we lean in, there's going to be a lot of love. There's going to be a lot of community. There's going to be a lot of belonging. But there's no shortcut to getting there. There's no shortcut to growing together. Paul continues in verse 3, saying that we are to be eager to maintain this unity of the Spirit. The language shows us that um, this unity is already built and it's already established by the Spirit, as he brings us all together. Paul knows our sinful hearts easily wreck this unity. And so he gives us this very, very strong exhortation. The Greek word for this uh, eagerness conveys a high level of intention, a high level of effort, a high level of diligence to preserve this unity. It means to make every effort. It is a very high priority Paul is urging all of us to take responsibility, 
to maintain this unity through humility and gentleness, through patience and loving forbearance for each other. This is our call. We need to do this. We are urged to do this. Every single Christian is urged to strive for these qualities for the sake of building each other up. We can't just look to others to work on this, but we need to each look into our own hearts. This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for leaders, but it's for every single person that is united in Jesus. These are the qualities that we need to earnestly develop in our hearts towards one another. And so by this point, you might be tired from all the exhortations and the commands and the duties to do this, to do this. How are we ever going to accomplish such a lofty task? This brings us to our last point, united by confession. These last three verses of our sermon text, it reiterates the importance of the unity of the church with all these one statements. We're not unified just for the sake of unity. We are unified in our confession of beliefs. We believe that there is one God and that there are three persons in this Godhead. We call this triune God the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is almighty, omnipotent, and powerful. He's sovereign over all creation. This is verse 6. And we believe that we belong to one body of believers throughout all the generations, throughout all of time, throughout all of history, throughout all the world. We believe that we have this one faith and one hope together in Jesus Christ. And our one baptism symbolizes our union with Jesus and with each other. And so for those who confess these same core tenets of faith, there's a special unity that we've been talking about this morning. And as we close, let's look at verse 4 where it says, You were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. This one hope that unifies us, it it is clearly laid out in the previous chapters in Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5 and 8 and 9, Paul tells us this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You guys, it is by the grace and the love of God that we have been saved from our sins. We cannot save ourselves by doing things, doing more things, and trying harder. It is only through a simple faith in Jesus Christ that we are made new and made alive. Jesus is our great hope. Church, if our hope is in each other, in ideal relationships, in the perfect and ideal community, then man, we're already lost. We're just waiting for our sin to get in the way, and when a blow-up happens between each other, we'll be jaded by the church again and again and again. We ourselves are the culprit for all this disunity. It is our sinful hearts that keep us away from experiencing the real unity and community that we long for. Our hope is not in our works to fix this thing. Our hope is not in ourselves and in our ability to be humble enough, to be gentle enough, to be patient enough, to be loving enough. Our hope is not in others to fulfill our needs 
to provide the relationships but, that we want. But when we realize that our hope is in nothing other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who on the cross, he was forsaken and experienced the greatest loss of relationship with the Father so that we, we sinners, would gain the greatest relationship with God, the Father, and with each other. Then our hearts will be filled with praise and worship for Jesus. Our hearts will be filled with humility and gentleness and patience and love and grace and forgiveness for one another. Jesus, he experiences the greatest disunity on the cross for our sake so that we would experience the greatest unity with God and with each other. It is our sin that bars us from the unity and community that we so long for, and it is only through Jesus Christ that this can be reversed. And so he is our only hope. The more we rest in this gospel truth together, the more our hearts will be filled with love and joy of Jesus and love and unity together. Let's pray. Our God, our Heavenly Father, our Lord, we come before you knowing that we, the things that we look for in relationships, in our communities, we are the ones that mess things up. We are the ones that keep us from unity. We are the ones that get in our own way. We pray, Father, that as we hear from your word, as we hear from these exhortations in your word, as we hear from these gospel indicatives and the truths, the things that have already done in, been done in Christ for us, we pray, Lord, that it would sink deep in our souls and in our hearts, that it would change and transform our hearts, Father. We pray, Father, that we would remember who we are and that that would drive how we live. We pray, Father, that we would not get that mixed up. We cannot save ourselves, Father. You have already done all the saving. You've already died for the church. You've brought unity to the church. You cleanse the church by the washing of your word and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are the ones that get in the way. And so we pray, Father, that we would see this, that we would realize this, and that we would rely on you. It's not up to us or up to each other to fix this thing. It is up to you, Father. We pray that we would rest in the gospel, that our souls would be fed and filled as we hear this gospel week after week. We pray, Lord, that our church here would be built on the foundation of the hope in Jesus Christ. And the more we look on that, the more we see how good and gracious and loving and unified and humble and gentle you were, the more we will be as well to each other. We pray, God, for this. Our church needs this. Other churches need this. We are bound together through Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we will never forget this. So be good to us, Father. Take care of us. Remind us of your goodness. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.